0: Good afternoon, my name is Emma, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Twilio fourth quarter 2022 earnings call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, again, press the star one. We ask today that you limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Thank you. Brian Vanneman, SVP Investor Relations, you may begin your conference.
1: Thanks, Emma. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Twilio's fourth quarter 2022 earnings conference call. Our prepared remarks, earnings press release, investor presentation, SEC filings, and a replay of today's call can be found on our IR website at investors.twilio.com. Joining me today for Q&A are Jeff Lawson, co founder and CEO, Elena D'Anio, president of revenue, Koseima Shipchandler, COO, and Aidan Vigiano, SCP of FPNA. As announced in our Q4 earnings press release, Elena, Koseima, and Aidan will be transitioning into their new Twilio roles effective March 1st. As a reminder, some of our commentary today will include non GAAP financial measures and key metrics. Reconciliations between our GAAP and non-GAAP results and further information related to guidance, definitions, and key metrics can be found in our earnings press release and the appendix of our prepared remarks, both of which can be found on our IR website. The information provided and discussed today also will include forward-looking statements, including statements about our future outlook and goals. These forward-looking statements are subject to known and unknown risks, uncertainties, assumptions, and other factors that are described in more detail in our most recent periodic reports filed with the SEC, including our most recent report on Form 10-Q and subsequent reports on Form 10-K or Form 10-Q and any amendments to any of the foregoing and are available on our website and at sec.gov. Forward-looking statements represent our beliefs and assumptions only as of the date such statements are made. Actual results may vary significantly and we expressly assume no obligation to update any forward-looking statement except as required by law. With that, I'll hand it over to Jeff for some opening remarks, then we'll open up the call for Q&A.
2: Thanks, Brian, and thank you all for joining us today. As you may have seen, we've made a number of significant changes to our business that we believe set Twilio up to perform in both the short, medium, and long term. As I mentioned in my prepared remarks, we are confident that this is the right set of actions, and the right path forward for our
3: customers, for our teams, and that will enable us to create more value for our shareholders. And I'm sure you have questions, so let's hop right into it. As a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, press
0: star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from the line of Meeta Marshall with Morgan Stanley. Your line is now open.
4: Great, Uh, thanks, appreciate it. Um, Maybe a, a couple of questions for me. Just maybe to start, you know, I know at the analyst day you guys had talked about a lot of changes that you were making to kind of the data and application sales force and, and just the driver to growth that that would be in the future. And just, you know, as you have gone through the process of splitting the business units, just where do you think you are on some of those initiatives? And um I guess kind of as a second question to that, where do you feel like there are synergies or dis-synergies from kind of splitting the segments as far as kind of getting customers to go from communications customers to kind of those data and applications customers. Thanks. Hey, Mita, it's Elena Donio here. Thanks for the question. A um, couple of things uh, that you hit on there. and I'll, I'll take them in turn and then uh, pass over to Jeff who can add a little bit of extra commentary. First question was about the data and applications business and kind of current state of growth and and where we're at in terms of that transformation that we've been talking about. Let me hit that one first. Um, We've spoken across the last couple of quarters about investment there and about growth there. Um, We also addressed a little bit of sort of the trajectory as it related to the beginning of last year and a couple of missteps that we made along the way. Um, We actually feel a lot better about that business and trajectory now. um, And we believe that this movement in separating our sales forces into these business units more discreetly is actually going to further amplify and accelerate that growth. So obviously, um, revenue growth lags bookings. Um, We feel good about where our Q4 landed across our data and applications business. And we're also confident in that reacceleration I talked a little bit over the last couple quarters about the hiring that needed to be done there, the onboarding, the enablement of those new reps. We feel really good about having built out those teams with the right set of skills and the right capabilities, um, doing some internal transfers as well as hiring from the outside um, with the right set of bespoke skills. So. Um really confident in how that's turning. We've also talked about some macro headwinds. Um those continue in, in a couple of areas, some lengthening of sales cycles, um, pushing out of decisions and things like that from time to time. Um, but with all of that in mind, you know, we feel really good about the things we can control. We feel really good about the investments that we've made and the trajectory ahead and we also have really you know we still believe and we shouldn't we don't think that this movement across two different business units should say anything different um there is a better together story here um our products really amplify one another but what we found is that having very specific sales focus across the unique needs of each of these buyers is a really important one and we think having moved our segment and flex teams into separate spaces last year, um, started that momentum building. And now, this business unit move is one more step in that direction of focus. Um, I think that hit both of the questions, but I'm going to hand to Jeff for a little bit more commentary.
2: Yeah, thanks, Bita. You know, I think your, the second part of your question was really about like synergies, dis synergies, et cetera. So, I'll tell you how I think about it. You know, every customer who comes to us for communications, like they actually have a use case in mind for how they're gonna engage with their customers, right? If they they need voice, maybe it's because they need a contact center. They need messaging for identity verification or for or for customer contact two-way. You know, they need email for a marketing use case, right? There are these finite use cases for the vast majority of things people use us for and these use cases kind of cluster together. So we have this opportunity to ask customers, hey, what are you trying to accomplish? What have you, you know, What are you trying to do with our platform and by the way have you looked at this other part of our platform that may actually help you uh, achieve that better faster or even cheaper in some cases our applications create value for customers by answering their need in a more direct way over the communications channels that we then just use to execute the delivery of those messages and so i think this is how this space is going to be won over time is getting at the why Customers are sending these messages and doing these communications with our customers, uh, in addition to powering the messages themselves. Now so you might say, Jeff, the two business unit structure, well, it seems like that makes it harder to actually bring these two worlds together. And you know, first blush, that that, you know, that may have be the appearance. But today, let me tell you what we've learned what didn't work, was to have everything lumped into one bag of a sales rep. And we've talked about that reason in the past, the just hit on it, right? So at this stage, what we're focusing on is the unique needs of the various buyers with specialization there and focus, um, but we're also going to collaborate and partner, um, utilizing our own data and intelligence to uncover opportunities to incentivize cross-team collaboration um, and to go understand which of our customers need which of these use cases and therefore would be really good customers of our applications and our data stack. But I think it's important to distinguish here. And this is the important part between the short and medium term and the medium and long term, because in the short to medium term, it's clear that we've got work to do to make communications more profitable and to take our data and applications business and execute on the sales model. But I see these things as foundational that the current environment is um, setting the stage for us to do. But we're getting better at using our data to drive these cross-sell conversations, um, both in things like marketing and our automation, but also in our sales conversations. And then over time, we build more and more product connectivity between these various products. And it's obvious how with better customer data in terms of segment, we can power smarter, better, more effective communications, and that drives more usage of our platform. And so I think that's how the synergies play out. But you do have to look at it short to medium term, medium to long term. Great. Thank
0: you. As a reminder, we ask yourself to limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Mark Murphy with J.P. Morgan. Your line is now open.
5: Oh, thank you so much, and congratulations to all the uh, new uh, folks who've been promoted. Um, my first question is regarding the 250 to 350 million non-GAAP operating profit uh, that you expect this year. It, should we assume that all of that is being generated by the communications business, uh, or perhaps more than 100% of that, uh, if we were to assume that the data and applications business is unprofitable this year?
6: Yeah. Hey, Mark, this is Kazama. I'll take that question. Um, it's really the latter part of what you said. It's more than a hundred percent and that's kind of intentional on our part. We do think that we can be very efficient in the way that we bring the communications business to market and that it can throw off a lot of profitability while at the same time, um, the data and applications business, they're in the middle of an investment cycle and we're early stages in that. And so we do think it's appropriate so long as we're making judicious investments To be able to grow the top line of that business, it's also gross margin accretive, which we think is important longer term. Um, But it is going to take some losses in the short term, um, which will work themselves out over time.
5: Okay, understood. And then uh, as a follow-up, I looked at the prepared remarks, and it it says that some of the macro headwinds that you had mentioned uh, still persist. So I'm wondering if you could just clarify whether the buyer behavior feels any uh, better out there i mean in terms of the the bookings cadence in recent months or uh would you say that that is still uh, continuing to degrade somehow
4: hey, it's Alina, i'll take that one um i would say those those factors persist um i wouldn't say it's all been flushed out of the system um but I think we're also getting better at navigating it um so we did we are comfortable with where our q4 bookings landed in our data and application space and um and we're you know we think our products actually play a vital role in top economic times um and so we're we're uh, we're sort of navigating that headwind in the field as best we can we've updated our messaging we're making sure that we're very clear about why allocating budget to these kinds of products at this time in particular is vital and important and we think that message is landing um, but definitely economically i don't think we're out of the woods yet i'll hand it to Co for more commentary
6: hey mark just one other thing i wanted to add is is that importantly we do intend to drive profitability through whatever the cycle ends up being you know we provided a relatively large range on the non-GAAP operating profit in light of the current uh, macro conditions, which are pretty dynamic, but we do think we can be profitable through whatever the cycle is and we intend to be.
3: Thank you very much.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Michael Turin with Wells Fargo. Your line is now open.
7: Hey there. Uh, Good afternoon. Thanks for taking the questions. Um, I guess it's just a follow-on on on the operating income guide because it, it certainly stands out. Just relative to what was expected. Can we just, I know you're guiding specifically for operating income, but just anything you can add on what would get you to 250 versus 350, and and how to think about just gross margin in the context of of that conversation relative to the potential growth outcomes that would drive the the delta potentially?
6: Yeah, a lot there, uh, Michael. So let me just try to unpack it a little bit. So, in terms of I think the way that we've planned for it is, is that as, irrespective of kind of the gross margin outcomes, we're going to be able to deliver operating profitability within that range. I think the difference will be basically that if revenue kind of performs in line or or kind of within a range of, of our expectations, then we'll be at the higher end of the range. and And if it doesn't, then we'll kind of be at the lower end of the range. Given how dynamic the macro is, we did want to provide a little bit of a cushion. We wanted to kind of plan and run the place a bit more conservatively in light of things that we've seen. Certainly a lot of companies have reported uh, similar, um, but irrespective will be profitable, but but that's kind of the, the color behind why that range. In terms of gross margins, um, as I said, I don't think that they'll really have an impact on on the way that this plays out. You know, We're really trying to orient the business much more towards gross profit generation. We talked a little bit about that during our investor day. So long as the unit economics are good, Especially in the communications business, they're already very strong on the data and applications business, then we're going to keep seeking gross profit dollars. I think a key difference being going forward that uh, those gross profit dollars will drive incremental lot profit dollars.
7: Very helpful. It's a substantial answer to a substantial question. Just a quick follow up if I may, on the expansion rates, we're seeing compression um, in a number of uh, different vendors across software. Um, can you just walk through what's driving the expansion rate headwinds you're seeing currently and, and how, how that informs the uh, the 1Q guide? Thank you.
6: Yeah, I, I think the expansion rate basically kind of follows some of the revenue growth rate decel that that you've seen. You know, one of the things about our business is, is that as macroeconomic factors kind of take the economy and other businesses down, given the usage-based nature of our business, we tend to feel those a little bit more acutely, kind of in the same way that we felt them a bit more acutely on the way up, right? If you kind of go back a couple cycles or even the most recent cycle to COVID, like we turned up very, very quickly as different macro factors kind of pulled uh, markets up. And so I think we're starting to see that come down a little bit. Um, in terms of the Q1 guide, I mean, we still feel quite good about our ability to generate revenue growth in spite of a very difficult macroeconomic environment on a year-in-year basis, and uh, we'll just continue to monitor it.
8: Thank you.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Atai Kidron with Oppenheimer. Your line is now open. Hi,
9: thank you. Yeah, this is param Singh on for Atai Kidron. Um, So, so firstly, you know, I want to understand uh, what are the areas within communications you were able to cut back on overhead? Was it because of excessive hiring? in 21, and how much of that cutback, are you would say, some international, which has a significantly lower gross margin profile?
6: I don't think we entirely heard your question, so I'm just gonna to try to play it back for a second. What I understood the question as being that, in what areas were we able to cut back in the communications business, and what proportion of that was international relative to other markets, is that right?
9: Yeah, that, that was the general crux of it. But I also wanted to understand, like, was – is this because you overhired in 21 in communications that you're getting back to a more normalized level, or are there other areas of streamli- you know, of streamlining your communications business that were previously not identified? So I just wanted to understand some of the dynamics behind the restructuring that you announced in the past, you know, since September.
6: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess what I would say is is that there's a couple parts to it. So if you go back to the fall – and the restructuring that we did at that time, I would call that like kind of more cost cutting. Um, obviously, it, it had the unfortunate impact of us having to to part ways with about eleven percent of our workforce at the time, and and you know that's that, that obviously is uh, something that we feel bad about. But um, that was more kind of in the cost cutting vein. And I would say this time around, it was more a restructuring around two different businesses that we think can b- drive better outcomes both for. Our customers as well as our share owners just given the different buying cycles the different economic um, aspects of the two different businesses in terms of where the costs came from i would say it was pretty much across the board like i wouldn't necessarily point out that it was heavier international necessarily relative to uh the way that it played out domestically a lot of our roles are kind of global facing um certainly once you get out of go-to-market um the roles are very global facing especially in engineering and gna um so i wouldn't say that we pulled more out of international than in any other kind of region you know one of the things to point out in international in particular is is that and we talked about this at our last investor day you know the unit economics of that business are actually quite strong and so we want to continue growing in international markets so long as those unit economics are good and we're going to continue pursuing business in, in that way. But, but that hopefully gives you a little bit of color in terms of the cost that we try to take out this time.
9: Absolutely. Thank you for that. And then if I could really get, uh, I want to understand the level of investment you're making in, in software, you know, considering this past quarter was only 22% growth and, and you know, forty four one million is a little light. So I just want to understand the impact of, uh, you know, your, oper- your operating Headwind that you're going to have in the near term while you go this business to hopefully a billion dollar plus
6: business? Yeah, I mean, we're not going to break out that number specifically. What we did do is say um, in our prepared remarks that we're guiding in the current year to about 250 to 350 of non gap operating profit. Offsetting that or included in that number is about 150 million dollars of incremental OPEX. And there's two dimensions of that that we specifically broke out. One was A increase in the way that we're going to compensate employees vis-a-vis bonuses to help us offset some stock-based compensation um, headwinds that we've seen over the last few years that would otherwise continue. And then the balance of that will really be predominantly investments in in Segment and Flex. We think those are smart investments because we think those can accelerate the growth um, of those products. Um, And then there's a little bit of other stuff in there as well, but we're not going to break out that number specifically. Thank you
3: so much. Thanks.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Taylor McGinnis with UBS. Your line is now open.
1: Yeah.
10: Hi. Thanks uh, so much for taking my question. So lots of uh, great incremental color on the call. But one area that you didn't discuss was the 15 to 25 percent revenue outlook you provided at the analyst day. I would imagine, you know, given some of the changes, that that outlook might be a little bit stale. But any color you could provide on how you're thinking about the revenue um, potential, you know, now and then. As a second part to that question, just looking at the one key guide, could you maybe talk a little bit more about what's embedded in that rev guide and, you know, particularly how it might relate to um, some of the changes you made in any risk of disruption?
6: Yeah. Hey Taylor, this is Kazama, and I'll take that question. So the 15 to 25 is really a medium-term guide. Um, We both provided uh, a revenue guide on the overall business of 15 to 25 in the medium term, which we labeled as three to five years during our investor day, as well as 30 percent plus in the software business. And those aren't changed. Beyond that, what we have said uh, a few times now is that just given the dynamicism in the macro environment that we're going to continue guiding quarter to quarter on the top line for now until we see the macroeconomic picture kind of clear up. Uh, we haven't seen that play out really. In fact, we've seen it kind of get a little bit more um, uh, uh, rocky over the last couple months, and so we just want to be smart about the way that we guide things. I think that the 14 to 15 percent that that we called out in Q1 is kind of reflective of that. You know, it is a tougher macroeconomic environment. I think, in spite of that, we're going to be able to put up pretty good growth numbers on a year-on-year basis. Um, But I think it's basically macro signals that we're seeing that are kind of making us think about the business in light of a number of different um, things that could play out. And and it just seems prudent to us to kind of plan um, and, and run the business conservatively in light of that.
10: Thanks for that. And then my last um, you know, quick follow up is I appreciate, you know, that you're talking um, near term about, you know, EBIT dollars and gross profit dollars and putting the focus there. But just as we think about the guide, that's, um, you know, the medium term operating margin guide is on a percentage basis. So can you just talk about what gives you, you know, comfort in that 300 to 400 medium term um, uh, outlook that you provided?
6: Yeah, I mean I guess the way that I would say it is is that you got a couple factors uh in the mix. So first is is that we gave you 2 to 250 to 350 in in the current year. Uh that gives you some sense of kind of how we're anchoring 2023 to give us a base off of which to grow. As we look out over the next several years, we're obviously taking into account our medium term revenue guide with some appreciation in software given that we've called that at 30% plus. And so if you kind of run the math out over the next several years and assume um, a few different things around gross margins and the gross profit dollars that each of those two businesses will kick out, that kind of gives us a sense of um, how profitable a business that this can become. And then I think some discipline on the OPEX side, which I think we've shown over the last couple of periods and, and certainly the most recent actions, you know, really give us a sense of you know, just how um, simplified and and efficient we can run the business, that kind of gives us the confidence to say, as we look out, um, we can drive additional uh, op margin accretion, which ultimately will uh, uh, yield gap profitability um, in 2027.
10: Great, thanks so much.
3: Thank you.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Nick Altman with Scotiabank. Your line is now open
11: uh great thanks guys um just to follow up on the, the prior question just given how significant um of a level of the restructuring uh you guys have done and you look at sort of the one q guide how much of the headwind to growth is coming from the restructuring and having less quota carrying reps versus some of these macro factors and the shift to focus to data and applications
6: Yeah, uh, Nick, just because I'll take that one. Not much, uh, to be honest. I mean, the the reality is, is that in the short term, there may be some impacts, so I don't want to suggest that they're going to be zero. Um, But I think by and large, the Q1 guide is not informed by some of the restructuring actions, either that we undertook in the last half of last year, nor the ones that we took just a few days ago. Um, the revenue model and the way that the bookings play out, it takes a little bit of time for things to catch up. Again, as I said, I'm not going to say that it's going to be zero, um, but as we kind of put our planning assumptions together, we felt pretty good about the way that we guided in Q1 and and took whatever impacts there may have been into account.
2: You know, uh, I'm going to add one bit of context to that, if you will. Sorry, this is Jeff. You know, I'm going to underscore something that was said earlier that I think bears repeating, which is that We have a usage-based pricing model, and in a usage-based pricing model, we see an accelerated headwind in a a macro environment like this, and I think that's what you're seeing in our recent results and and in our guide. What we're not seeing, though, is a real change in, for example, our competitive situation, right? I think what you're seeing is a representation of just consumer activity and the general economic activity uh, being slightly muted during this period of time, but I think this also can play to our strength as you see economic recovery occur, because that can be an accelerated tailwind for us as well. And that's also the nature of a usage-based pricing model. And as we mentioned earlier, we saw it in the early days of the pandemic when people were using our product for many new use cases. And so I think we are an accelerated view into the macro economy based on the usage-based model. And as we do uh, move towards the economic recovery, I think you'll see a company That is in a really good position because we are more streamlined, we are more focused, um, and we've got a great customer base uh, to enable us to, you know, see the tailwind from that recovery, including the business model. And so, like, I just think it's worth, again, pointing out the nature of the usage model, which is, you know, generally speaking, a great benefit to us during these times feels like a little bit of a headwind for us, but I think in the long term, it's still the right model.
11: Great, and and then just as a follow-up, um, earlier you'd said that the 250 to 350 million operating profit outlook does not embed any gross margin expansion on the communication side of the business. But now that you're sort of managing the business in in two separate units, can you maybe just walk us through the the margin implications for the communication side? Um, I mean, would you guys ever sort of disclose that business unit as is, is a separate entity in reporting? Do you have plans to pay a little more uh, attention to the gross margin profile there and and maybe um, be a little bit more, you know, disciplined on discounting on, on that part of the business?
6: Yeah, I mean, so uh, there's a couple of things that you said in there. So in terms, let me just take the latter part first, and then I'll come back to the first part of the question. So we actually are pretty disciplined already in the way that we price the product. And so I feel quite good about the way that the pricing mechanisms work um the unit economics are very strong whether they're domestic or international and you know we tend to be priced higher than the other guys and as Jeff said a moment ago you know we're not losing share and so we feel very very good about the way that the product is priced and more importantly about the value that our customers get from the product in terms of disclosures which i think is kind of the other aspect of your question um you know what we committed during our investor day is that we'd provide additional transparency in terms of what we're now calling communications, and then our data and applications businesses. And um, we're going to continue doing that as we have in the current quarter. And I think one of the things that we're going to work through over the next few quarters is just to develop a little bit more robust reporting as we operationalize the business units.
3: And we expect that that probably will lead to additional disclosure over time. Great. Thanks, guys.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Fred Havmeyer with Macquarie Capital. Your line is now open.
12: Hey, thank you. Um, question perhaps for Jeff and for um, you know, Firstly, it's great to see and hear that you are returning to the North Star in communications of the product-led growth story there. I wanted to ask with that, uh, with that shift in the emphasis of a sales-led motion back towards more product-led growth, Should we anticipate any sort of uh, change in, say, quarterly uh, cadence of revenue within the communications segment relative to what we've seen in prior years? And I suppose also in that context, uh, since you're guiding fiscal 23 on non-GAAP operating profitability, should we be thinking revenue of revenue at this point as less of a um, kind of a key metric for the company and something that uh, will ultimately just be driving your operating margin margin outlook or rather operating profitability outlook?
2: You know, hey, Fred, this is Jeff. I'll take the first part of your question, and then I'll, I'll hand it to the copine for the second half of your question. But the first part, you know, if I understand the question, I, I think you're asking, like, how will it affect uh, revenue, given that we're moving to more of a product-led led growth uh, strategy? And, you know, I would say, look, the, the goal, you know, once once we win a customer, you know, a lot of the growth in the account comes from, you know, their growth in the market, of taking something they built from You know a prototype that they're testing to beta where they test out the idea to rolling it out to the entire customer base and then the growth of their business and their customer base and so really it's about getting that uh that that kind of design win and that's where developers are often very influential in the life cycle of adopting some of these uh, communications products and so by moving uh back towards more product-led growth what i think you're seeing is we're gonna we're gonna be investing in the things that make uh, those developers and the companies that are in the early stages of adopting Twilio really successful at onboarding. And I think we see a lot of opportunities to go uh, streamline the product, make it easier to get up and running, but also to scale these products as customers scale uh, globally. And the product can do a lot more heavy lifting in areas where I think we've relied on on people to actually help our customers over the line uh, in recent periods. And you're right, this is a return to the roots of Twilio, which is to make the product enable our customers to find success quickly and easily um, with a really powerful product and so that's what we're focused on so you know I think it'll uh, help us enable uh, bringing on new customers as well as continuing to scale our existing customers uh, in a way that customers will actually appreciate because it's it's going to be
6: easier and faster for them to do so
2: so for the second part of your question I'll, I'll hand it to Co
6: hey Fred you know in terms of the second part of the question I guess the way that I would think about it is just to maybe take a step back and then I'll, I'll drill down for a second is that one of the things that that we thought a lot about as a company and as a management team is is that we've become a, a really big business but we also want to become a really profitable business and so paired with becoming a a large revenue generator we also wanted to make sure that that revenue threw off a lot of profit and so that's why you've seen some of the restructuring that we've done into these two business units we do think we have an opportunity to better focus in that way and generate a lot more profitability, for example, in the communications business while fueling what we believe can be a tremendous amount of future growth in the data and applications business. With that said, we certainly haven't given up on growth in the communications business. We still think there's a ton more growth for us to go get. You know, what's fortunate for us is, is that we're operating in end markets that are still growing at very, very rapid rates our share is, is maintaining. And if anything, the pie is growing. And so that kind of bodes well in terms of a great growth setup going forward, we're still under penetrated, I would say internationally. And so that's a real opportunity. And then I think on the data and applications business, you know, really for us, the sky's the limit, we see a lot more growth opportunity there. Um, As Jeff and Elena have both said during the course of this conversation, we think that our data capabilities pair really well with our communications capabilities too and so we think that'll yield some additional growth too so profit will certainly be a key feature as part of these calls we want to give folks a sense of confidence that we do see line of sight to gap profitability but please don't confuse that with uh any lack of focus on the growth side okay,
12: thank you there and then just quickly for elena as you're thinking or as you're looking at the portfolio of apps on uh twilio where are you thinking about Really prioritizing your investments into the software and services and the platform.
4: Thanks. Um, I think, you know, we're we're not gonna obviously break that out in a lot of detail, but what I will tell you is that our Flex product is just at a different stage of play than our segment product. Um so it's got you know fewer resources behind it, fewer sales reps behind it, et cetera. But we both see a ton of green build. We we see a ton of great build opportunity across both of those solutions. Segment is creating connectivity to our comms platform through our Engage product. Um, We think that product actually will ultimately fuel FLEX as well as we utilize our data capabilities to power better engagement through FLEX. And so we actually see them, uh, some real opportunity to bring them together and for them to be better together as well as fuel our communications business and vice versa, uh, so it's, it, we think they're all equally important in our portfolio, but the segment business is sort of just at a different stage of play, so it's got a little more girth and heft to it than the Flex business does, but, but the Flex business is growing in a healthy clip as well.
3: Thank you.
0: Your next question comes from the line of City Panagrahi with Muzuhu. Your line is now open.
6: Hey, this is Phil on First City. I just want to touch on the last question. So for Flex, I know it's one of your key strategic priorities, how is it performing in this environment and what sort of changes can you guys make to increase share in the CCAS market? And also, what kind of traction are you guys seeing on the Engage platform?
4: I'll take that, um, and I'll do them in reverse order. Um, so, just to as a reminder, Engage went general availability in Q4. Um, so, just a couple months ago, and we're excited about the trajectory that we're seeing there. Um, we've got a couple dozen new customers uh, deploying a lot of really new and interesting use cases on Engage, and throwing through you know new emails and new SMS messages, all as part of that. And so, we and we've also talked about a couple of those customer wins uh, in the back part of our prepared comments. Uh, there are a couple of others that um, we haven't been able to share directly, but we're, we're pretty excited about in terms of their utilization of Engage and Segment, um, both from a renewals perspective, as well as a good chunk of net news uh, that we're excited to bring live over the next couple of months. So strong performance there with Engage, and, and we think real opportunity going forward. Um, FLEX had good performance in in Q4 as well, and um, as I mentioned in prior calls, uh, we're in the process of building out these specialized sales forces, doing a fair amount of hiring, um, enablement, onboarding, and as we see our sales reps coming online, um, getting out into the market, um, and beating the competition head-to-head in these deals, we just, our our, um, optimism is growing for how that product will perform in the space. Um, Just to kind of cap it off with a a word on the competition, Um, we're not seeing new competition and we're not necessarily seeing, you know, loss uh, rates that are bothersome in any way. Um, This is a matter of sort of getting out there into the greenfield opportunity, embracing it, making sure we've got the right marketing messages, campaigns, lead generation programs. Um, and then bringing those deals through to close. So, um, good momentum beginning to kick in as we see these new AEs coming online um, and looking forward to sort of how that plays out here in
3: 2023. Your next question comes from the line
0: of Alex Sukin with Wolf Research. Your line is now open.
8: Hey guys, thanks for taking my question. And, and honestly, uh, congrats on one of the best, uh, I would say, presentations uh, thus far that we've we've seen uh, from the company uh, in many quarters uh, on on multiple fronts, uh, including the buyback. Um, I guess the first question is I, I, maybe I missed this or or I missed it in in the letter, but if, can you maybe just go a little bit deeper into the headwinds that you saw on growth on both the communication side and the Application side in Q4, maybe also commenting on the linearity of the business in the quarter and what you're seeing uh, into Q1, both the, the the headwinds, I guess, but also the tailwinds to the point of of you know how well, um, you know how well y- y- you can be in both markets that are up and down.
6: Yeah. Hey, Alex. This is Cosima. Uh, I'll I'll take the question, and then if you have uh, other other color you'd like, uh, Elena can certainly chime in as well. So, I guess what I would say is is that I'll just kind of echo something that that Jeff said earlier, which is that you know, number one, um, we're not losing share, and so that gives us a lot of confidence that the business is headed in the right direction. Number two. Um, we're just seeing a lot of dynamicism in in the macro environment, and as our uh, business is usage based in large part, certainly on the communication side, um, we start to feel those effects much sooner than many others do because we 're kind of a leading indicator in some ways, both on the way down as well as on the way up. And so you saw a little bit of that obviously in our expansion rate and you're seeing a little bit of that as well in our reported Q4 results as well as the way that we 're guiding in Q1. In terms of some of the headwinds, you know, it's there's nothing beyond really kind of the things that we called out previously. I mean, I I would point to general macro, which is a very broad category. But, you know, some of the stuff that we called out previously is crypto and social and e-com, retail, Um, all of those industries, as you know, um, have been impacted pretty significantly. And you see that in various earnings reports, you see that um, in the news cycle. And so you know, we're just kind of caught up in the same, and I think what's important for us is is that we play through, um, that we continue to grow through whatever the environment is, and importantly, that we generate profitability in spite of whatever that macroeconomic
3: environment is. So that's the way that I would really characterize it. I don't know, Elena, if there's anything else that, that you would add. I think that's good. I don't have anything else to add.
8: And I guess just maybe following up from that, so if we look forward from here, um, I, I know I always ask the question about net retention, but if I think about that 110 uh, number and I think about the progression through the year when you start to anniversary some of those negative effects and, and to Jeff's earlier point, you know, on the, on the way up it, the, the, uh, the consumption model can be or the usage model can be really good. If you think about the linearity of the year, understanding that you're not guiding. How should we think about that progression or how are you thinking about it internally? Is it a back half normalization, stabilization of that retention rate? Uh, Is it something that, you know, shifts to more net new? What's the right way to categorize it?
6: You know, Alex, I I, I wish I did know. I I, I don't. Um, I think that we're planning conservatively, basically, you know, given the macro. I think it's just a really dynamic environment and so we're not necessarily forecasting an uptick per se um could it be better maybe um you know i think we're all sort of hoping it's going to be but we can't plan for that and so we're gonna plan for it kind of playing out the way that it has been maybe the last few months last few quarters um and kind of hope that it gets better Uh, obviously our our field teams are going to win like whatever business they can um, they're going to try to grow share in, in every way that we can off of our existing base. We're going to keep growing with the accounts that we have. But how that plays out in terms of db and E, I I just don't know. And, and and as you know, like it's not something that we've historically forecasted to. All I'd say is, is that as the economy picks back up, our business will definitely pick back up. And, you know, we're certainly looking forward to the time that that, that happens. Um, by the way, I also appreciate your comments at the start of your question. Thank you. Thank
11: you, guys. Congrats again.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Derek Wood with Cowan. Your line is now open.
8: Great. Uh, thanks, guys. Um, as you look at driving more efficiency in the business, can you talk about how partners are going to play a role and, and maybe what you're doing to drive more partner leverage, especially in light of shifting to a, a two-business unit strategy?
10: Hey Derek, it's elena i'll take that one
4: um, we think partners play a vital role um, they are helpful in bringing in some of the flagship customers you've heard us talk about uh, both this quarter and over the last couple of quarters um, we put them in a couple of different camps there's um, implementation partners that also could be reseller referral partners and then there's also just straight up referral partners um, that might have a piece of technology that works together well with, with one or more of our products and so we are in the process of actually creating sort of bespoke um, partner uh, acquisition partner enablement and partner co-selling teams across our um, our new sort of business unit structure we think that'll create a lot more focus on the opportunity there and um, you know we we're not going to sort of break out exactly what that trajectory looks like but we do believe that partnership will play an important and growing importantly role in our growth and and new bookings, both across the data and applications business, as well as across the comms business.
8: Got it. Great. Maybe a follow-up for you, Elena, as well on segment. Um, Just wondering how the progression of growth uh, trended over the year. You guys obviously had a lot of organizational change. Um, Just was hoping to get a, a comment on that. And then as you look at kind of how Q4 ended and going into Q1, what end market demand looks like for, for CD, CDP investments uh, in this macro condition?
4: Yeah, thanks, Derek. Um, and and I think even the way you phrased the question is is right. You know, in into the beginning of last year is when we had some stumbling, lost a, a fair amount of key talent, and then uh, began to rebuild. That was a huge priority of mine uh, when I came online in May and um, we've worked to sort of execute through that hard time and I think really finally started to get our legs under us again in Q4 um, with a couple of really great customer wins. Um, they're listed in the in the documents from us, but JPMorgan Chase um, was a fantastic win across multiple business units and uh, with Engage and Segment um, Box and a couple of others. Um, we had some great new uh, seven figure, uh, consumer brand wins as well, um, that we look forward to bringing live. So, um, excited about the trajectory. A lot more work to do. As I mentioned, these AEs or account execs are still coming online and, uh, and getting their own legs under them. But we're, we're excited about the trajectory. I think the CDP space is still in early innings, but I think also the important thing to note is sort of where we take it from here. So we think the data in the CDP can create amazing power across our applications. And then we also think what we're building in terms of orchestration with Engage, also in terms of connectivity to our um, communications platform, as well as to flex, um, really just create such an incredibly powerful um, set of capabilities for our customers, but also competitive differentiation. So, um, you know, it's a matter of of getting people to part with precious budgets right now. Um, We feel like we've got a great message there. We feel like we really do create lift for brands, particularly in a time like this, when it's really important to be super surgical about how they spend every single one of their marketing dollars um but you know when ad spend and marketing spend um are impacted and and are strained people just want to spend a little bit more time in the sales cycle a little bit more time making sure that it's exactly what they want but we also know when when we get to proof a concept we we tend to win uh, and so that that's really what we're focused on is making sure we get into the game and and get those deals closed over time so I wish I had a crystal ball on the macro environment, but we we play through, and we think we do well in that context.
2: You know, this is Jeff. I'll no, point out it. one other thing. I'll just point out one other thing. If you notice, we uh, tweaked a lot of our messaging at Signal last year for the buyers of this market. Right? We said, look, this is about acquiring customers more efficiently. And then increasing your lifetime value your revenue with those customers and so that really is a targeted message uh, based on you know how our products are relevant in this
13: period of time
2: and i think it, you know you see some of the results that we we put out both in terms of uh you know jp morgan uh adopting engage uh box uh who was a longtime segment customer moving into engage but also a leading e-commerce company that they adopted us in order to improve their ad spend I mean, these are really good examples from our customers that we could talk about in our prepared remarks of exactly
3: what we see going on in the market. That's great, Keller. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Rishi Jalurera with
0: RBC. Your line is now open.
14: Oh, wonderful thanks guys so much for taking my questions uh two from my end first i, I want to continue talking about uh, a segment maybe this is one for elena um you know as we think about you know the core communication side kind of returning to its plg roots how should we be thinking about uh the the kind of evolution of segment go to market especially considering you know the cdp market is a little bit more evangelical it is a little bit more greenfield uh and maybe alongside that as we think about uh potential, uh, you know, larger vendors trying to get into the space in a big way, be it Salesforce with, with its own offering in Genie or, or, or Adobe. What's kind of the plan to maintain segments market leadership as the larger software companies try to get into the space? And then I've got to follow up.
4: Thanks, Rishi. This is a strategic sales motion, you know, getting in, getting the product introduced, um, getting customers using it in groups of concept and and things like that. And so we have really focused our attention on just building fantastic enterprise sales capability and blanketing the market with our message um, and getting in there and, and helping customers through sort of Putting their dreams into action in the product as we show them our capabilities and and um, turn them into to paying happy customers. And so, while there's definitely more we can do in terms of um, you know demos and and the sort of the developer message, this really is an, an enterprise sales motion, and we we're, we're investing in that accordingly. Um, and we think the price tag av- obviously accommodates that as well. So um, that said, you know, the connectivity across our, our the rest of our products is a real opportunity for Lyft. And so finding examples um, within our communications business where the data can be useful and where then we can turn around and, and through the orchestration of Engage, Um, push communications back out, I think everything ultimately becomes better together. And and the developer as discoverer of those communications channels sort of opens that door for us from the communication side. And then I think we get to go back in from the segment and engage side as well. Second part of what you talked about was the the big competition, and we're, we're certainly aware of the moves of our big competitors but you know, we love our chances that we have the better product. We have um, 100% um, sort of focus on the very specific and bespoke things we do in the CDSP space and in, in the customer engagement platform space. And we think we continue to stay ahead from a capabilities perspective and um, and just will continue to invest in the product to make sure that we stay ahead. Um, the, the work for us is going to be to make sure that we're competing every single time one of those decisions is made, and uh, we're orienting ourselves to
14: do just that. Got it. That's that's really helpful. And then just a, a quick financial one um, for Kazama. Um it, You know, look, I appreciate the the longer term guidance and, and commitment to to gap profitability. Um, if I just kind of think about you know, looking out and, and, you know, it's hard to predict two quarters out, let alone five years out, but well, maybe, maybe maybe let's try So you are talking about gap profitability in 2027, as well as bringing down your SBC to to 10 to 12% of revenue. Um, I mean, that just implies that your non-gap operating margins though, in 2027, as you pivot more towards profitable growth and presumably reach a substantially larger scale, that your non-gap, you know, margins would be in that 10 to 12% range. And, you know, I, I, I may, maybe just given all of the, the, the kind of areas of focus, that seems like it's maybe a little bit low as as a target to reach for. Can you maybe walk me through kind of the, the, the thought process here and, and maybe where I may be wrong in my thinking on, on the long-term framework? Thank you.
6: Yeah. Hey, Rishi, thanks for the question. So I think just one edit to what you said, and I, I don't know if you misspoke or not, but I, I think what you said towards the end was that. Um, our long-term framework was 10 to 12 percent uh, op margins, and that, that's actually not the case. So the the way that I guess we're thinking about it is is that you know there's the 250 to 350 in the current year. Um, you can kind of run the math on what the implied might be based on our our Q1 guide. Obviously, we're not guiding quarter to quarter right now, or we are guiding quarter to quarter. We're not guiding for the year, just given how dynamic it is post that, you know, we see three to 400 bps, um, you know, per year. And I guess the way that that we think about it is, is that if you stretch it out over those, um, you know, that five-year period is that, number one, we get to something that probably looks like if we can execute well and at the upper end, 20% plus one, two, that if we can get to, um, you know, the 10 to 12% that I talked about, or th- that we disclosed in the remarks um, on the SPC side, which we feel pretty good about, just given some of the changes that we've made um, in terms of compensation, moving more from stock based to cash based. Um, and then um three, I think that um, you know, the net of those two obviously yields some uh gap profitability uh overall as well. So that's kind of the math that we're doing. I mean, could it be better? Perhaps, but that's certainly not something five years out that I would want to commit to. We feel good about, you know, the setup. Certainly in the current year, we we if we execute, we can be on the higher end of that. Um, if if revenue is is tough, we'll be at the lower end, but all the same, we'll be very profitable in in 2023. And then, you know, over multiple years out, we see really strong up margin accretion, which we think is a good signal. Um, And then being gap profitable is really the name of the game, obviously, and our ability to control SBC is going to be the
3: principal lever, and, and we know how to do that. All right. Great. That's helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Willpower with Baird. Your line is now open.
13: Okay, great. Um, Thanks. Uh, A couple of questions. Let me start, I guess, on the communication segment. I'm just trying to think through go-to-market and potential impacts to growth there. I think you suggested earlier you didn't expect limited growth, limited impact. I'm just trying to understand just given the magnitude of the changes taking place there, how you get comfort that there's not a more meaningful impact to um, revenue growth and any parameters you could maybe provide around what you expect for for growth in that communication segment, whether this year, next couple of years. I'll
4: take that in my uh, in the capacity of my prior role, just covering go-to-market writ large. It's Elena here, and then Kazema can can jump in if you've got anything else to add. So, um, understand the point. Um, we obviously did a substantive cost cut here, and I think the important there's a couple important things to, to think about, and that we we've, we've sort of started to talk about over the last couple of quarters. Um, it was really important to us to begin to demand more of our products, more of our tooling, and more more of our process as we think about the right go-to-market model for communications. And so we believe there's a lot of efficiency to be gained there. We're making progress against all three of those dimensions um, now and plan to even make uh, more improvement in how we create efficiency across the team going forward by increasing our capabilities in product-led growth and in self-service. I think when you actually really sort of peel the layers back in how we were servicing our customers historically, um, we had a number of people involved in, in any kind of in, – in any sort of customer experience, and we believe we were a bit over-levered there um, and that when you kind of get underneath uh, where our efficiency was great and where it wasn't, um, we think we can provide those fantastic customer experiences and really benefit from our customers' usage of Twilio without having people involved at every stage of the process um, and really reserving that human capital for the times when our customers really and truly need us. And that's when they're making a decision, when they're deciding whether to turn left or right with their use cases, um, and when they're struggling with something, with solving a problem. And so that's really where we want to apply that human, uh, that human capacity and capability, and we're not going to let go of that. We will still be there for our customers when they need us. Um, but as it as it relates to sort of new customer acquisition, that's also more human capital intensive at times. When it's big customers making, you know, running big loads on Twilio, we'll be there for those customers as well. Um, but there was a lot of space where we had begun to see that our efficiency was degrading as we added large numbers of, um, of uh, talented individuals over the last number of years. So we just don't feel like that's necessary for us to continue the growth trajectory, given our penetration in the space, given how our tooling and products are coming along, um, and given what we believe that, that we can do with the human capital we have
13: around keeping our customers um, satisfied. Okay, and then if, uh, maybe Elena, just to follow up with you. I mean, I guess shifting over to your your new primary focus. Um, congratulations uh, on that, by the way. Uh, in thinking about applications and, and software, can you maybe just remind us as you think about you know flex and segment, you know, what are the synergies there might be on on, on go to market? Um, I you know I know you've got some specialized folks you're hiring probably for each of those segments, but just trying to think through you know, the synergies and differences and kind of how you balance that with those, those two different products.
4: Yeah, for sure. We really see sort of the best uses of Flax being where a customer is running a digital contact center where engagement is key. We've got some great use cases of customers using Flax where they're actually in selling environments, not just service or support environments. And so we believe there's a really interesting synergy and tie with segment um, where the data will actually create incremental efficacy in those interactions that are happening in Flex. And we're beginning to lay that track now. We expect to see some of that capability here actually in 2023. Um, but I, wanna, I want us to lay that track first before we begin to um, think about this as sort of one product or, or one um, set of use cases. They are pretty different today, and so we're going to keep those sales organizations um, really specifically focused on those unique customers, those unique buying patterns, what those customers need from us. Um, but we will be working on adding some of the benefits of segment into flex. Um, and we expect to see some of that um, this year. Okay.
3: Thank you.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Pat Walravens with JMP. Your line is now open.
11: Oh, great. Thank you. And um, congratulations on all the progress. Um, Jeff, this is a very big picture, but you know, um, Filio has this unusual situation where you have a dual class of stock that collapses to a single class seven years after the IPO, so in June. And, and as the founder, I would just love to hear your, your, your thoughts and sort of the history on, on why uh, you guys originally structured it that way. And, and now that we've hit the milestone, uh, how you feel about the decision and, and how things might be uh, going forward.
3: Yeah, thanks, Pat.
2: You know, I mean, look, all along, we run this business uh, as owners and for the benefit of all of our shareholders. And we're focused on driving attractive growth, lowering OpEx, increasing profitability. And, you know, we've extensively engaged with our shareholders over the last several months and over the whole time we've been public to help inform the actions that we take as uh, management in terms of balancing growth, balancing our customers' needs, our employees' needs, our shareholders' needs. And our goal is to create value for our shareholders. And, you know, we believe in the strategy that we're executing is going to do that. And when I think about it from the um, perspective of a newly public company, when we put this in place just prior to our IPO, you know, I think the idea is for a young company to get its feet as a public company. Um, and that's why we thought of it with a, an expiration that was seven years in the future. Now, at the time, that felt like a long ways off. And, you know, here we are. And so I think that it did its job to get us on our footing as a public company. Um, During that whole time, we are able to listen to our shareholders. Uh, We are able to uh, make decisions as a young public company. And now having the benefit of seven years in the public market, um, that will come off. And the scheduled expiration of our dual class really doesn't change any of that, uh, any of those ways in which we run the company. And so, you know, that's how I think about it as a founder, as a CEO, and as a
3: um you know, do Sherry of the company now that's really helpful thank you
0: this concludes our q a for this portion of today i turn the call back to the speakers for any closing remarks
1: thank you all for joining today and uh we will speak again soon
3: thank you for attending you may now disconnect back.